I would re-truth that all of the struggle and pain that every single person feels in this world today becomes their greatest strength and their greatest tool for love and growth and change in the world. Hey guys, hope you're doing well. Here is one final episode from season two before I will take a break to finish recording season three. My new co-host Robin and I are having so many deep and interesting conversations with the most inspiring people right now and we can't wait to share them with you. So stay tuned for season three coming later this spring. But now to this episode with Ben Curtis, because it's a truly special one. I recorded this in late summer of 2020, but everything we talk about is still so relevant, if not more relevant than ever. Ben Curtis is an American actor who became known as the Dell Dude in a series of commercials for Dell computers between 2000 and 2003. But then a series of events that you will learn about soon led him down a windling path into a quite dark place where the only way out was to reach out a hand and ask for help. Today, Ben is a recovered addict and experienced actor in recent shows like Orange is the New Black and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He's a musician with his own band, Dirty May, but most importantly, he's a life coach on a mission to help especially men find self-love, courage, and compassion. Ben is a dear friend of mine, and I've been dying to have him on the show, so I'm super excited to finally share this episode with you. Ben's journey, both career-wise and personal growth, is truly inspiring, and I think you're really going to like this one. One final note before we dive in. Since recording this, I myself have been on a long journey of spiritual growth, and I've learned so many things this past year, especially when it comes to race and white privilege and my whole stance in that. Um, so I've actually decided to, at the end of this episode, share some of the things I've learned, some of the things I've come to, and maybe in doing so help you also feel more comfortable diving into this work. So if you feel like just hearing from a white person who's trying to learn, or if you need any sort of guidance in this field, stick around for the end, and I will share some of my own deep and vulnerable realizations, but also discoveries and healings in this field. So um, that's coming at the end. But for now, let's dive into this episode. This is the ever so inspiring Ben Curtis. Ben, I am so happy to finally have you on my show. I feel like we've been talking about this for a long time. And, um, I'm so happy to be here. Yay. I, uh, you have the most incredible story, and I cannot wait for the listeners to hear it. I just want to give a quick background. You are a close friend to me, but almost like family, on, honestly, because I was oh, looking desperately for an apartment in New York City. I was like, you know, moving from one place to the other, like living on people's couches, and I'm like, I need a place. And when I walked into your and Cass's home in Harlem, New York, it was honestly like walking home. It was just mm. filled with love and light and you guys are so amazing. So I feel like not only thank did I get you. an apartment, I found myself a family and you're still family to me. So thank you for being oh, that's back. so sweet. Thank you so much. Well, we feel the same way about you. It's like, I don't believe there are any accidents in life and it brought us together and how amazing that we're here Two years later, uh, both married. Hello. Congratulations. Both missed each other's weddings, but that's okay. <laughs> that's right. Hey, you know. Yeah, life is uh, um, Yeah, but here we are. So thank mm -hmm. you. That's really sweet. I'm really happy to be here. And uh, you're someone I've always been inspired by and always learned from. And I think your podcast is awesome. And we need as many change makers in the world. So I'm so happy to be here. 
I want the listeners to really get the amazing story that you have. You were the Dell dude back in 2000. So if anyone has seen the ad, you're getting a Dell dude. <laughs> you, uh, you've seen Ben and uh, it was a long time ago, but that's how he started his career, which led him to a bunch of different things. And I'll let you share that story. But more than anything, it's led you to a place where you are today, where you're a life coach, mm. you are an actor and musician and just big mm. light in this world. And so I mm. think learning your story and what you've gone through um, can really help and inspire other people. So do you want to just take us through that timeline? Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I've, well, I'll just say quickly, you know, I've become a personal freedom and performance coach to help people fulfill on their dreams and what matters to them. And um, it was just about a year ago when I was actually it was six months ago, I, I hit a little depression in the winter and I was thinking my life isn't working and then, you know, luckily for having a coach myself and mentors and things, my coach said, uh, wait a second, dude, you're, you just got off a six month tour. You've, you were on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Orange is New Black last year as an actor. And your clients are hitting you up for more and more services. And now you're a coach and you're basically living the dream. So consider that. And it was so nice to have the perspective of, of another which is why I think coaches are so important in our life to just hear, oh my God, wait a second. I am living the life of my dreams. And it yeah. just took one person to say that, to turn it around. And my coaching business just exploded them because I realized everything I had gone through is exactly what I needed to get me where I am today to help be of service in the world. Um, thank you for so that reminder. You, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. And I just, you know, life's short. And, you know, a pandemic can happen at any moment. Well, apparently. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, uh, we could die. Tomorrow isn't promised. And we only have today. So that's kind of what my story is about. Um, I'll try to give you the condensed version. I should probably write a book, but I haven't, I haven't managed to be able to I would so read your book. Do Please yet. do that. Oh, thank you. Okay. That's on the list. <laughs> Um, so I, yeah, I'm a preacher's kid from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, but I grew up in a pretty interesting family. My father's actually a gay minister. He's one of the first ministers to come out in the South. That was really powerful hmm. for me. Um, we were also probably the only liberals we knew growing up around there. And my mom works with refugees now. She was a French teacher and my dad, body watercolor painting after he retired. And, um, and my sister is a dancer and a performer and a teacher. And you know, my whole family has just been about doing what you love. And that's something I've really seen and honored as I've gone. And, and so they encouraged me to do what I love. So I, I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to move to New York. And that was a dream. Ever since I've gone, New York's one of those electric special places. They'll always have a special place in my heart. And... I told my dad, I want to go to NYU. And he's like, oh God, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's no way we can afford that. And not only did I get into the school of my dreams, NYU, but when we got offered our financial aid package, it wasn't enough money. And my dad called the dean and I uh, said, you know, my son really wants to go to the school. They're like, we really want to have him. We'll review his application. A week later, I had an, I had an acting scholarship. Wow. And that allowed me to go. They reviewed my audition and they were like, no, we really want this guy here. Don't and give up, guys. I just Honestly, no, don't give do up. No, do not give up. So, you know, I, I was like, I'm going to be an actor. Let's do this. 
And uh, one of my best friends in school was in business school and he started getting sent on auditions. And I was like, dude, hook me up. You know, you're a business guy. I'm the actor. And he's like, okay, well, it's my friend's mom. I don't know how big she is. Her name's Renata English. She owns Friendly Faces Management. Well, I got on the phone with Renata. I said, I'm an actor. I want to do this. So I'll send you on a few auditions and see how you do. Well, one of those auditions was the Dell commercials. And we knocked it out of the park. And the next thing I knew, I was like this overnight success, but it was, it was heavy. It was a lot. I was in school full time. And then I um, moved into ground zero uh, two weeks before September 11th with my best friend at the time, Marcus Jones. He's still my best friend. Um, and uh, I'd just taken this um, course, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Landmark, but Landmark Worldwide is a growth and transformational organization. And they do really incredible work to help people um, just put integrity back in their lives and fulfill on their dreams and transform. And I had this really profound experience and it was in the World Trade Center. And then two weeks later, I watched the whole thing crumble before my eyes. And needless to say, I saw a lot of horrific things that day. A lot of death, a lot of destruction. Um, And I developed pretty severe PTSD, post-traumatic stress, but I didn't know that great success. I was in the Today Leno when he hosted TRL with Carson Daly, Good Morning America, you name it. My commercials were on all day long. I couldn't go outside anymore. Um, had no more anonymity. It was like meeting with the heads of DreamWorks and Fox and um, all these huge things. And anyway, long story short, uh, as the addiction and as PTSD got worse, my addiction came out and that I really started self-medicating and that just led to a lot of addiction and destruction. Um, and I didn't know I had PTSD and it, it got pretty bad. And, and finally my father had to come up to New York and kind of, he helped save me, he got me a therapist on medication, help a mentor. Um, and I was blacklisted from the acting industry completely. No one wanted to work with me anymore. Um, Oh, I didn't mention. I was going to say, why did you get I was blacklisted? <laughs> <laughs> I was arrested as the Dell dude. I was national television news. Okay, hang on. Let's back up a few steps here. You, okay, why did you get arrested? Um, I got arrested because I was buying some pot mm-hmm. from my delivery service, as you do in New York. But they were being followed by undercover cops, and I was the wrong guy in the wrong place in the wrong time. Mm. It also did not help... That was a white guy running around New York City in a kilt and uh, with, with no underwear. I was proper Scottish style, as they do. You, know, you wear knee knickers under your kilt. And uh, I had a Scottish girlfriend visiting at the time. It was my best friend's birthday, Rob Signum. He also had his kilt because he took me to Scotland. So I got arrested in a kilt. Thank God my roommate brought me underwear and pants. And to this day, my dad said, Hey, son, well, it sucks you got arrested, but at least you got arrested in style. (laughs) So that was all great, but my career ended. And um, basically, I couldn't get work. Um, I became a waiter, a bartender. People were asking me, why are you waiting tables? I don't know. Talk to Dell. That's all I can do right now. And it just got worse and worse. My alcoholism ramped up. My addiction ramped up. And... um, I just finally, I kept getting messages from the universe. I kept hitting self-sabotage, destruction, addiction. Nothing was working. I lost my bartending jobs because I was drinking too much. I couldn't get a handle on it. I was powerless. And I knew that there were people out there 
who could help. And I started looking and the, the universe just started sending angels. I just started sending prayers, like show me where to go, what to do. And mentors and coaches appeared out of the woodwork and people carried me and I was willing and I was open and I had had enough. That's really important to know when we've had enough and in order to get help. And I turned my life around and I got sober, um, which was definitely a good start. I dealt with the integrity of my body and what, what I was putting in and how I wanted to live and who I wanted to be. And that really turned my life around and it gave me the space and the time to kind of figure out what I want to do. Sort of like in this pandemic, you know, we're dealing with a lot of pain and destruction and hard times right now, um, politically, socioeconomically, racially, but it's also a time to reflect and create your life newly from the ground up. It's like the Phoenix can rise from the ashes and I burned everything to ashes and truly started to rise. And I started working again as an actor. I was starring in feature films. I created and started and produced in my own feature film, We Are the Hartmans, along with some really other amazing people, Laura Newman. Um, uh, I started winning awards. I started, I became a yoga instructor, meditation teacher, um, all that had been passed down. I mean, something I'd been doing for years, already practicing, but to become a teacher, to pass it on, and then a life coach. And that's when it really took off because I knew that coaches had made a difference for me and I was ready to make a difference for other people. I had walked the walk and I could now say, I've been through the fire, I've emerged and I know how to heal and I know how to take care of myself. And I really, uh, that's why I really put myself out there every day on social media. I try to share my truth my experience and help others do the same. And um, here we are today. I am married to a woman of my dreams who challenges me and teaches me every day. I um, have a band I love, Dirty May. I um, am still acting and I'm, a, and I'm a coach. I'm a personal freedom performance coach for men, mostly. I work with women too, but men who um, are sensitive, creative, know they're powerful, who've had enough and are ready to step in to their light and unleash their power and have what they want in life. That's who I am. And here we are today. Wow. That's yeah. my life story. Well, I feel <laughs> like it's just, you know, you, just, you said it before life, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think everything from your fame to, you know, the World Trade Center to you getting arrested. And even though obviously during this time, everything was tough, it's brought you to a place where you now can help other people. And you may have gotten all the like difficulties in your life at once so that yeah. you could be like speed dialed to the place you need to be at today. And, you know, needless to say, it's been really difficult and you have had to go through a lot of uncomfortable times. And you, like sure. you said, we haven't been able to do that without a coach. And so I think for anyone who might be, you know, in hard times or have gone through hard times and think like, you know, I'm a lost cause, there's nothing I can do. And, you know, I seem to just be attracting all this disaster. There is a way to turn it around. And I think the first mm -hmm. step is asking for help. Yeah. And, and also like if anyone is doing great and just wants to do better, you know, like yeah. <laughs> no, every great performer, there's not a single professional athlete in the world that doesn't have a coach. You know, there's not a single influencer out there in the world that you look up to that doesn't have a coach. Um, so it doesn't have to be like your life is going downward. You I know. know. Thank you for it's that. It's just like having someone <laughs> in your quarter to turn it up. You don't have and to wait for that disaster to happen to get no. help. That's what we're saying. Suffering is optional. Um, but some people, you know, we don't always know how or when to stop and to give ourselves permission and a coach will hold you accountable. It's not like a therapist is going to listen to your bullshit. We don't put up with it. We have mm. you take action about what matters to you and just do it. You know, even when the brain says, no, I can't, it's too much. You absolutely can if you say you can.
One of the things that really came to me was how you said that you at first said, I don't want to be famous. And then you sort of said, maybe I do want to be famous. And you got mm-hmm. famous out of like, mm-hmm. out of the blue almost, and you weren't really prepared for it. And also I think you just weren't given the right guidance on how to deal with that. Yeah. And um, do you think that's common today? Like not saying everyone's getting famous, but just the fact that we are not prepared for life sometimes. And that leads us to being thrown off the loop and just developing maybe habits or just way of living that is not beneficial or not healthy. Do you think that's common? Yeah, 100%. Um, 100%. I, it, you know, it didn't surprise me when like Britney Spears had her falling out and Justin Timberlake hit his, and so you see so many celebrities um, die from, um, you know, addiction or stress or heart attacks. It's just, um, I don't think you can ever be prepared for something like that. I don't think humans are designed to be put up on these massive pedestals um, and worship for art. I think, um, you know, honoring artists is really important. But when we put these celebrities up on these things, it's like we, we make them gods, but we're all human. So I don't know if the human experience going alone into that, um, uh, can ever be prepared, but having the tools and having a coach and having someone in your corner who has walked that can absolutely prepare you. I, I'm actually working with a client right now who wants to restart his acting career after 10 years. And, you know, he felt like this was a bad time, but we're actually, he's developing more content, he's writing his own show, working on stand up comedy. Uh, and and growing a relationship with himself just through this work of what it what would it be like to put yourself out there and we're really listening and talking to him about who do you want to be and how do you want to put yourself out there and he's redesigning his life and actually so I think if if he was to have some success at this point he would be absolutely a hundred percent ready and that's just the difference between having a coach and not I didn't have anyone to talk to I didn't know how to talk to or how to ask for help. Um, so I wish I had more. So I think, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's common and it's great. Uh, it's never too late to ask for help and it's okay to have assistance, you know, have someone walk you through that. Right. And even like just having friends around you or like talking about things, I think we tend to forget that no man's an island and that, you know, we're stronger alone and we can deal with this. And I feel like it's, it's always been seen as sort of a, a weakness that you have, you know, that you don't know what to do or like not know, like you're not sure exactly what to say. I think also social media has just propelled that mm-hmm. where people feel like they have to be perfect all the time. They have to come, ac- come across as smart and you can be called out in an instant. And it's, I think for me, it's creating a lot of stress too. And it's sometimes mm-hmm. you just like, there, are, there might be times when you just don't know how to act or how to react or how to respond. Mm-hmm. And I think this idea of that we have to constantly put something out there or constantly respond without giving ourselves a chance to step back and reflect uh, can sometimes create more like drama and danger almost than good. And I think what we really need to, to do in this time especially is just learn how to slow down, understand like what you just said, everyone's just a human being. And I think the pedestal that celebrities used to be on, I mean, it's not, in some way it's still existing because of social media and the internet. But at the same time, I think what's happened in COVID is everyone's been leveled out, you know, like there's, you can't be on a stage in front of people right now. You can't be walking a catwalk. Like there's so many things you can't do. And so everyone is just a person behind the screen. And I think that's just bringing some sort of 
humility and peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that can, you know, bring something good about it too. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about social media too, because it's making everyone out to be these experts and like you have to have it all figured out and together and look good. And it's creating really a false sense of the human condition and being messy. So one of my favorite things to do is to go live um, because those are the time, like on Facebook or Instagram, because those are the times when I've hidden and I've recoiled and I realized I was only showing the world what like the guy who has it all together looks like, but I didn't show like the truth and the struggle, but also like the healing that happens through tears and the beauty of owning your emotions and um, you know, so many people have reached out to me in that way. Like the amount of men who have said that was, I don't even know how to cry. Like, how the hell did you do that? You know, online, I was like, well, I'm not performing for you. I'm just sharing my heart with you. And, and, you know, you also talked about people feeling like they need to muscle through and, and, and do it all themselves. And, um, you know, I think that's a very Western philosophy and men feel that way. Like they have to be the leader and, and women who, who are trying to, uh, you know, find equality in today's world to pave the way and do it by themselves. And they have to do it alone because there's only men around. Like the people who are paving the way are the people who are having the coaches as well and having mentors and allowing themselves to be taught. Even, you know, the CEOs at the top of the game are still allowing themselves to be taught. And I think that's the important thing. Like where, where are we trying to do it alone and how can we allow ourselves to be the student again and allow ourselves to be imperfect and share those imperfections with the world and on social media and um, allow yourself to be messy. And, and I think that will, that creates change in our environment. Like if you, you know, it just takes one person. So if, if you're always trying to look pretty on social media, that just shows other there's a, an actor or model out there that's just trying to always look good on social media. And that actually is telling other women that they can't post or other men that they can't post unless they look perfect or look good. So allowing people to post things where they don't or they look messy. And I love that movement of, of you know, the no makeup movement and the no editing movement that's happening corporately too. And advertising is really cool. Yeah, I think there's definitely huge shifts happening in culture and in entertainment and the industry in general, I think also like what we're seeing this year with Black Lives Matter and, you know, the health crisis and climate change and everything. It's just, you, you said it too, the fact that no one knows everything, even leaders has to sometimes be the students and we can all grow and gain from asking for help. And I think it's, that's sort of reassuring because if you are someone who feel like, you know, people look up to you or people just like assume that you have the right thing to say, and there's going to be times when you don't. And I think finding peace of mind and comfort and knowing that you can know everything and there are going to be times when you're not the one to lead. Like, for example, I'm a white person. So for me to speak up during the Black Lives Matter movement, it's just like, for me, it was a big learning curve of saying, I'm here to listen. I, I want to learn. And I think mm. there's also something to be said about owning one's stories and owning one's influence and Mm. also the shame sometimes that comes with just awakening. I think the discomfort that comes from growth, Mm. it's so easy to overlook the the work that goes into growing as a spirit and as a person. What would you say is the biggest learning you've learned about yourself in the world in going through all this from 9-11 to your addictions, to the fame and to everything that happened? Like what is something that you've really come back to that's becoming so clear? Hmm. 
Well, they don't call it growing pains for nothing, right? <laughs> um, and I think the uh, the one thing I've come back to after all that time is I was running from my emotions my whole life. I've um, some people say like, oh, they get sober, they change their life, and they start they get to feel their emotions again. Well, I always had, in my opinion, for my taste, way too many. Um, but the thing that I've gotten to come back to now that I really own and love is that my sensitivity and my emotions, which I thought were my greatest weakness are my greatest strength. And they're like my superpower now mm. and my tool that I got to use to be unapologetically me and feel all the things I need to feel so that I can heal and help others do the same. I've always been a very sensitive person and I used to curse myself for that. But now I'm like, that's actually who makes me who I am. And it's mm. in tapping into those emotions and feelings that I can actually be more present, I feel, and actually mm. give more value. And I think that is what's going to change and shift our world and especially the, the change that we need to see. I, I think most people who are listening are all about like, but how can we change the world? You know, it's urgent. We have to like change climate change and to figure out a way to reverse global warming. There are so many social justice issues that we need to deal with. But I, I personally believe that there is no way we can handle that sort of work. The magnitude of the work that needs to be done can, can never successfully happen unless we start with ourselves first. And so that's why I think it's so important to, to go through the uncomfortable times and really grow as a person and find your own mental peace of mind, but also your own happiness and ways to thrive. How do you think this relates to the bigger picture? Like, what would you say to someone who is maybe very anxious about wanting to make a real change in the world uh, and they may not feel like tending to yourself first is the most important task? Like, what would you say to someone like that? I think social justice starts within. So you have to get really right with yourself. And I really believe change starts from within. Um, and then change also happens with action. So awareness, acceptance, action. So become aware of what you want, what you need, accept what you can't control and take action on what you can. So, um, yeah, I guess that's it in a nutshell. I'd really just say, you know, if you're an activist and a protester and um, someone who, who is really out in the forefront, I think self-care is really, really important. And to look at how you take care of yourself, how you honor your energy, um, you know, do you have a meditation practice? Do you, do you build your energy up from a place of love before you go out on the streets to fight those battles? Because if you're fighting with just pure anger, or hostility, uh, you really give away your power and it, it sometimes can affect, you know, how you're speaking. But if you can come from a place of very in, being intentional and specific and, filling your wealth first so that when you do go to battle for those things you believe in in the world, you can come from a place of being whole and complete and not broken. Mm. Because if you're broken, you know, the, the, the concepts and the things we're going after can be broken. So it's, it's like when we can start from a place of wholeness, then I think we gain more power and more people listen and, and we lead with love and lead with our heart. I mean, the one language of the world that, continually transcends everything war violence everything is is love you know it's it's that's it 
I need to say this because as you were talking, you were like, you know, you want to make sure that you go out there and you're whole and not broken. For some reason, the picture that came to me was sock with a hole in it. And I'm like, (laughs) well, what if you were to go out in March and like you have a long journey ahead of you and you're wearing holy socks? Like it's just going to be a matter of time before you start getting like blisters and all sorts of shit and you can't continue. And I think, you know, it's just maybe not the the best metaphor, but just like trying to like think about it this way. If you are to sustain this movement and whatever we're working on, if it's, you know, racial justice or climate justice or anything on a global scale, it's not going to just happen overnight. It's going to take years. And Mm -hmm. I think we have to remember to fuel ourselves with the right sort of fuel so that we can keep going. And I think with that said too, we have to refuel because if we run dry, I mean, I've done this so many times. I thought that being an activist meant being angry and upset with the world and with myself. And if I wasn't feeling that way, I wasn't actually serious. Um, And I felt almost like a hypocrite for like waking up in the morning and feeling good about the world and like being happy and doing things that I love. And I'm like, how can I do this when there's so many things that we have to fix? And then it just, you know, it dawned on me that there's so many things we have to fix. And like the list goes on and on and on. I'm like, I can't continue to take them all off before I start, you know, living life because I will not, you know, maintain that. I kept, you know, sleeping through weekends. I was so tired. I kept getting sick and had to start Mm. all over again. And I'm like, this Mm. is not working. Like, Mm. I can't continue this way because at some point, like, and also it was so funny because no one really listened to me and my approach of like being this angry vegan at the time or like trying to like preach my message just didn't really hit home. And then I started changing my approach and said, okay, take care of yourself first. Make sure that you can go out there being whole and provide good energy. And maybe then you can actually make a difference. And so I started doing that and it was so interesting because suddenly people listened to me and they were like, Oh, that's interesting. Can you tell me more? And I'm like, you want to learn now? And it was just like, but of course, like if you come at someone with anger, like they, they, they might like their reaction is to treat you with almost like having to defend themselves. Right. It's like, if you attack someone, like, well, how are they going to respond? They're not going to be like, Oh, Please tell me more. Thank you so much. <laughs> I know, like, yeah, can Wonderful. you give me some more hate, please? More. <laughs> right. So I think just like what we have to remember is like every change we need to see happen, no matter in what field, it all comes down to human beings. And so we have to always remember that we are human beings, we're dealing with human beings. And so how can we successfully go about changing the world? And I think that is why it's so important to find the love and the energy that we want to put out. 100%. And I just, I want to say briefly one thing you said, um, which I want to acknowledge for, because I think a lot of white people out there might resonate with this, is that, you know, you said during the Black Lives Matter movement, like, who am I to speak? And um, it was important to listen. And I agree with that 100%. Um, And actually, uh, one of my mentors and greatest inspirations is uh, Preston Smiles. He's an incredible life coach transformational coach he coaches coaches and um he's african-american and he um he said you know i really i told him you know as a white guy white male life coach today who am i to speak right now and he said ben you and all you other white coaches and leaders out there we need your voice right now like please don't hide Mm -hmm. please don't go away people need you more now than ever 
your fellow white brothers and sisters are wondering what they can do. And if you are educated and you know and you have knowledge and you can share that and you can start conversations with them about how to be more mindful, that we need your voice. We do need you to speak up. We need you, especially if you're a coach or a healer or you know, you work with people, um, they need you now. You know, we need each other now more than ever. We need to know where to go. We need to have a safe space to have these conversations. We need to have a safe space to get messy. We need to have coaches and, and healers and leaders supporting all of us through this time. And it is important to raise your voice. If you do know what you're talking about, say it, you know, encourage your other white friends to speak up, encourage other people to educate themselves. Um, educate yourself, talk about what you're doing, own your shit where you haven't, you know, where, where in your life have you been racist? Where have you, uh, made those mistakes? Like, where have you learned? What are you willing to share and, and, and grow from? And that you actually, you know, do have a voice and it's okay to use it. And it's also important to listen, like both of those things. Um, for people who are listening, they don't feel like they know what to do and know how to navigate this time too. You know, that's also something I do as a coach working. I've, I have clients who are, uh, many races, but, um, both black and white who we've, we've gone into these conversations, um, in a really safe, beautiful way to really open their hearts and dive deep and give them a space to, to hash it out. Cause we all have feelings about this right now and it affects everyone. Yeah. I think you said it so brilliantly how, how we can actually do all these things at the same time, right? I think you're so brave in doing this, but like showing yourself in a vulnerable way or like you're crying on social media or you might be authentic about the fact that you don't always know exactly what to say or what to do, but like in listening, you can listen and at the same time teach because as you're learning, that is when we really have to share it, right? We don't have to wait until that one day where we have figured everything out and we know everything and now you're a leader and expert in your field. Like I think what we need now more than ever is for everyone to be leaders, for everyone to listen, for everyone to share and for mm. everyone to be there for each other. And I think that is, that is what we need right now. It's for everyone to step up, for everyone to be seen and heard. Um, but, you know, like make sure that you have listened first and so you know that what you're putting out there is actually something that you want to stand behind. So before we wrap up, because we talked a lot about, you know, how there was a lot of just anxiety and fear and uncertainties right now in the world, and especially this year, a lot of them might, it seems like a lot of them are just coming to surface. And I think many people are dealing with lack of hope or just you know, not knowing what to do or feeling this sense of urgency that there's so much change that need to happen. And it's almost like exhausting in itself to think about all the change that we need. So mm. since you were so passionate about guiding and helping people, what would you say is something people can do every day almost like a, a, um, a challenge or a practice to help find more light and optimism and, um, and self-love in all these times? Beautiful. What a great question. I think the simplest thing that someone can do each day is to take five minutes, even if it's just set a timer. And I think when you wake up, really, I really like to do this at the beginning of my day, um, to really take that time, find some space by yourself. Even if you have to put on headphones in the room with another person, find some way to go within where you can cut out some noise and just take a few minutes aside and just honor however you're feeling and then ask yourself how do you want to feel that day what do you want 
in your life today? And what do you want for the world? And you get really clear on it. And whatever your vision is, I mean, I'm talking in really broad terms, but whatever you want, it could be really simple. I just want to feel nourished today. You know, I want to feel lighter. I want to spread love. Um, I want to be of service. I encourage you to think of things sort of outward. Um, not like, I just want to be happy today because, and, and you can visualize happiness too, but often if you want to be happy, giving happiness uh, brings happiness. So um, think of ways to give. But I just, I tell all of my clients, um, we do a lot of visualization, meditation, just to take a few minutes, simply visualize what you want and how your life would look if you had what you want. And imagine if, if you're having a hard time finding your light, imagine shining that light. Just take a moment to visualize, you know, acting as if, even if you don't see it or feel it, imagine that you have light coming out of you and sharing that with the people in your life and then bringing that light back to yourself. And so that can just be a really simple thing. Um, if you want to break it down even simpler, five minutes of just listening and visualizing. Um, but I really think if we take that time to cultivate our heart and imagine how we want to show up in the world, that, um, that that really does transcend and it really does make a huge impact. And it's a great way to sort of reset your morning and uh, kind of pause with whatever stuff you've had in your head from the night before and start fresh, start new and start with intention and love. I think that's such a great reminder. We continue to look to the outside world for the sort of energy that we want and for like to show the hope almost of like there is hope for the future and you know there's things happening that I should be you know optimistic about but then we forget that whatever we put out is actually what we create so in being the light and being the love and by putting that out there it comes right back to you if mm. not like from other people then from yourself it's just like so wonderful to go out there and be the change you want to see because that's when you start believing that things are possible. I have loved to have you on my show, Ben. I first of all want to give the listeners the chance to let them know how to contact you if someone wants to be coached by you. You can follow me on Instagram. It's Ben Curtis Official. You can send me a private message there. Also, my Facebook is facebook.com slash Ben Curtis Official. You can follow me, send me a message there. So that's the easiest way. But Instagram and Facebook is great. And I have lots of information and videos on um, and beautiful, inspiring quotes and meditations and things on my both Instagram and Facebook page. So you can get some more tools there to help you navigate these times. I want to finish off with my final question, which is my word, retruthing. Retruthing means that you take something that you have lived by in the past or are still living by and by changing the narrative around this truth, you retruth it and you find a new meaning to that in your life. And in doing so, you can actually start living life in a completely different way. So if you were to retruth something right now, what would that be? I would retruth that all of the struggle and pain that every single person feels in this world today becomes their greatest strength and their greatest tool for love and growth and change in the world. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Ben is just so much light and love and talking to him always makes my heart smile, honestly. But so since I promised I was going to give you an update on my work around white privilege, here it is. 
I was uh, suggested in late 2020 to read a book by Leila F. Saad called Me and My White Privilege. And I must admit, it's really opened up a new world for me. Reading this book, I've understood how white supremacy is actually showing up in many more ways than we first might think. And also the role that I ought to play in making sure we dismantle this system. So I want to begin by saying to all white people listening that I know this is heavy work. I also know it might feel like you're not the one who has to do it because that is how I felt at first. I saw myself an ally and didn't think for a second that I had any part in fueling this oppressed system. But what I'm learning is that just because it's not my fault, per se, that this system exists, it doesn't mean that I'm not benefiting from it or that I'm not helping for it to stay the same. So in other words, it's not my fault white supremacy exists, but it's very much my responsibility to make sure we dismantle it. And if anything, it's people like me who consider themselves to be on the right side, so to speak, who might have to do the most work. There's a quote in the book by Martin Luther King that reads, Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. So even if you might not feel like you're someone who needs to dive deep and someone who has to understand the underlying causes of racism and white supremacy, I can highly recommend doing the work because I believe it to be incredibly healing, first of all. And the deeper I dig, the more I see how I'm very much a part of and also a victim to this system. You know, this is a system we all play the rules by. And I think by understanding how and in what ways we can really, you know, dismantle it and start building something better. So to name up a few ways that I've learned that white supremacy shows up in my life, it's, um, in first of all, white privilege, meaning that I take so many things for granted that black and brown people would always have to worry about, like feeling safe when dealing with authority or knowing that people in general just trust my good intentions. Like if I take a flight and I'm at the airport, for example, like I, I can just kind of, you know, know that I'm safe because I'm, it's just what I take for granted. And I understand now, like that's white privilege. Like I can just take things for granted because that's just what I'm used to. Another one is white silence, which, you know, means that I've chosen to stay silent Many times, especially in social media, thinking it's not my conversation and I should probably have spoken up a lot more and engaged a lot more and, you know, really joined the fight. Like, even though I may not know a lot about it, I can ask questions and I can share whatever I learn. I think in this space, not staying silent and just committing to always being there and, you know, learning and sharing and starting conversations, like, that's what we ought to do. So white silence is definitely very present in my life and has been, and I'm trying to change that. Um, something too that I realize I practice a lot is white exceptionalism, meaning that I accept myself from the work, thinking that I'm not like other people, I'm not racist, and you know I'm definitely not part of the problem. But the thing is, I'm still benefiting from this system, and I'm you know actually not I'm not actually trying to change it. So white exceptionalism is like that dangerous part where like I don't think I have to do the work because I'm not like that. You know I'm not racist, and that's just not what it's about. You know like. I think you've heard this, it's circulated a lot, but it's not about not being racist, it's about being anti-racist. So committing to the work and just not accepting yourself from the rule, I think it's really important that that's really starting to get to me. And then lastly, I want to mention colorblindness, which I for the longest time thought was a good thing. I thought that not seeing color meant that I saw people for who they truly are, over-categorizing them because of the color of the skin. Um, I thought, you know, like... I don't see color, I see people and everyone's equal in my eyes. And I thought that was a beautiful thing to say. But then I realized 
we have to see color, right? Like if we don't see color, how can we ever even acknowledge a system designed to benefit white people? And also, if, why is saying that someone is black a bad thing? You know, if my skin tone is white and hers is black, it's a pretty straightforward thing. Like it's just what it is. But by swaying away from acknowledging colors, we're only fueling this idea that black and brown people should feel like less than because of the color of their skin. So colorblindness, which I thought was a good thing, is actually a bad thing. It's again, staying silent. It's just again, like closing our eyes and not wanting to see a system that's oppressed. And so what I'm learning in all this is that, you know, I am very much a part of this. I also play by the rules by the system. I may not see it as much because I'm privileged and I'm, you know, it's just not in my face and I don't feel it the same way. But the more I do this work, I'm finding it to be very healing and I, I've decided that, you know, this is, this is our work. It's not their work, it's our work. We need to dismantle this system and create something new. And we can only do that if all of us come together. The exciting part is that we're getting closer and closer to a just and equitable world. And it's so exciting, in my opinion, to see these voices from people of all backgrounds uh, and all colors being heard and amplified. I believe it is such an exciting time to be alive right now. And I want to be part of that, you know. I don't want to stand by the sideline and watch as this new world take shape. I want to be part of creating it. And it's clear to me now how much I also will heal on the way, but also how much work I'm here to do. It's not their work that I'm here to just cheer on. I need to dive deep and go in there and like really fight and like create something better. And it's pretty empowering and exciting. And I'm choosing to see it that way. And... With that said, you know, I'm a white person who has a lot to learn and it's uncomfortable and it's even shocking at times, but I'm so happy I've committed to this. I want to be an ally, like a true ally, and I'm ready for that work. And a lot has happened since we recorded this episode last summer, and I no longer think that I should stay quiet in these topics. I want to be someone who admits when she's wrong because we are allowed to be wrong and we are allowed to learn and grow and I have grown this past year and I'm proud of that and if you haven't found the courage to tap into this work yet I'm sending this as a loving nudge to do it. We are on this journey together and it's easier if we feel comfortable having open conversations and talking to one another and asking questions. So I'm here if you ever want to send me thoughts or questions and you can reach me best on Instagram, which is Janeri, or on my website, theclimateoptimist.com. All these links are also linked in the show notes, so you'll find them there. But yeah, that's just short about what I'm learning right now with white privilege and white supremacy and how I need to help dismantle the system. I hope this has been a little bit helpful. And if anything, I just found a reason to share. I find this so empowering and eye-opening and outrageous at the same time and I'm realizing how much work we have to do and I'm ready for the work so I hope you feel ready too and uh, that was it for season two and uh, you won't be hearing from me for a little while but please follow me on Instagram and I will continue to post a bunch of climate optimist things and I hope you stay tuned for season three that is coming very very soon so guys stay curious stay excited let's do this let's prove that we have what it takes to create a sustainable just and regenerative worlds.